I wonder how many of you have ever heard of someone named Dan Robbins. Show of hands, I'm going to put his picture of this household name. Who here has ever heard of Dan Robbins? Dan Robbins is one of the most widely shared artists in human history. In fact, many of you have encountered the works of Dan Robbins. Do you know what he created? Paint by number. <laughs> Who's done paint by number ever in your life? You know Dan Robbins. Now, when Dan Robbins passed away, he was such a cultural force, you may not know his name, but you knew his work, that the New York Times put out his obituary, and here's what they said. And I love this, because it really, sometimes things happen that really explain the Apostles Paul's writing in such a helpful way. Let's look at what Dan Robbins he was no Leonardo da Vinci, but he copied one of the master's basic techniques and thereby enabled children to grow up believing that they too could paint the Last Supper. Now the problem is, who here is again, last time I'll ask, who here has done paint by number? Any da Vinci's in here? No, no, I'm sorry. Like you probably did a nice job maybe, or maybe you got all out over the lines and you mixed up all the colors and... This isn't Da Vinci, but the Mona Lisa, right? It was the wrong color and oops, whatever. But here's the thing. Why do I bring this up? Imagine that Da Vinci came into your life and he appeared right here and he walked in. Sometimes in the church we say, imagine what would happen if Jesus walked in the room. What would happen if Leonardo Da Vinci walked into the room and he sat down with Jack and he sat next to Jack and he said, hey, Jack, um, I'm so excited to be here, so here's what's going to happen. I want to spend the rest of your life with you. Want to learn how to paint? Can you imagine if that was in your life? Da Vinci comes and says, I want to have a personal relationship with you to teach you to be a painter. Now, why do I bring this up? Let me show you why I bring this up. The Apostle Paul says this in one of his other letters. He says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. But sometimes we get stuck painting by number, don't we? Sometimes we forget that we're God's masterpiece, that we are to live lives where we surrender to God and he works in through us and we get all fixated on other things and we think this is what I want in my life. I want love in my life. I want patience in my life. Do these sound good? love and patience and gentleness. And we say, yeah, I want those. Those are so positive. Those are what I'm looking to have in my life. And the challenge is, is we settle for our own version of paint, paint by number, and we do it the wrong way. Let me explain. So paint by number, we have a lot of vets in the room. We'll keep it short. Paint by number is the premise that you have a grid, and it's got little numbers. And you've got paints, you with me so far, and they're numbered. And the little number on the paper and the little number on the paint, they go together. You rigidly follow the directions, and what do you have? Not a beautiful masterpiece. You have kind of a weird-looking thing that sort of looks like a picture, and you've rigidly followed the rules, except you didn't because you went outside the lines, and you put the wrong color here, and you had all these challenges, and your Last Supper doesn't look like Da Vinci's, and you're like, oh... And also, you haven't really learned to do anything. You've just painted by number. You have a finished product you put on your fridge. It kind of looks odd, and then it gets thrown away a little bit later. Okay, but 
This is what we do in our lives. We try to imagine the best life and try to imitate it with rules. We see Christians. You have Christians in your life, and you see wonderful Christians, or you see Christians in culture. Maybe it's a TV preacher you really like or a YouTube preacher. And you see someone do this, and you say, hey, you know, I'm going to forget the fact that Scripture tells me that what I need to do is I need to let go and say, I'm a sinner. I can't do it without God. Sin is real in my life. It's dominating force. It has me condemned. Fortunately, God has come into my life, sent me Jesus. I need to say, I'm a sinner. I mess up. I'm not enough. Lord, I want to have faith in you. Let's walk together. And over time, life changes. We forget that, and instead we want to imitate. So we say, I want to live a life of faithfulness. You want to live a life of faithfulness? What do we do? We start to go in the wrong direction. We say, I want to be loving. I want to be filled with patience. I want to be as kind as kind could be. I want to have a gentle spirit. I want to be peaceful at all times. Do those sound like the best life? Yes. Are they the best life? Yes. What does the Apostle Paul say in the letter to Galatians? He talks about all those, and he says, the Holy Spirit... Oh, I want to pause. Because look, the Holy Spirit produces. Does it say imitation produces? When I look at someone who's joyful, if I imitate them, that produces joy in my life, right? No. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And this is one of the ones, it's so important, we're going to read it together. Let's read it together in three, two, one. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, against this, there is no law. Now, the challenge we have is we try to paint by number in our lives. Instead of saying, the Holy Spirit produces, say that with me, the Holy Spirit produces. Say that again, the Holy Spirit produces. Does imitation produce it? No, we have to be careful with that, right? And so we paint by number in our lives, and it gets us into trouble. Imagine you want to live the most faithful life. So you say, that's it. By the way, I'm not trashing any of these behaviors. I'm going to show you the limitation of them. I want to live a faithful life. So I'm going to start getting up at 5 in the morning to ride my Peloton. And then I'm going to take a cold shower because ice-cold shower is going to make me tough. I'm going to make breakfast for my spouse. And then... 6.30, I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to listen to a Christian podcast about positivity and the gospel. And then by 7.30, I'm going to be at work an hour early. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to answer all my emails before anyone else is there. And then I'm going to be faithful. And then, you know what? Everyone's going to respect me. Oh, wait. That's the problem. Everyone's going to respect me. Wait, wait, wait. It's not about everyone's going to respect me. It's not about the approval of everyone. Suddenly I'm off base. Do you see what immediately happens? When I make it all about painting by number, I forget that the Holy Spirit produces and I suddenly have the wrong motive. So I want to show you something today. We have this big idea. Are we settling for paint by number lives? Because I can have the cheap imitation of patience in my life I can have the cheap imitation of love in my life, or I can have the real deal. And the challenge is the real deal the Holy Spirit produces. 
not me imitating people. There's wonderful people in this congregation. Look around for a second. If you're online, I want you to imagine Christians you know. Look around. There's some, some of the most amazing Christians I know are in this room. We have a wonderful church. People say, how do we build this church? We build this church by getting the wonderful people in this room and in this, in this ministry understanding that we have a chance to impact for the gospel our community. We don't need anyone else. We start here amazing people. But if we simply imitate them, we're painting by number. If we're simply saying, I need to be more like Tony. Tony's awesome. I love Tony. But ultimately, <laughs> he's a great guy. And I'll go out to coffee with him anytime he wants, Tony. But the challenge is, if I'm just settling for imitating things, I lose it. The gospel is not the gospel of a person. The gospel is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for all the world. How it saturates my life, your life, every day in every way. It's not boxes to be checked. It's not rules. We're going to see Paul's going to talk about how the rules are shadows of the reality to come. It's not about rules. He writes to this group of people called the Colossians. If you've been with us every week, this will be a review. If you're first time, which there's some people here, we're so glad to see you. We're seeing new people every week now, and we're so excited. Here's the deal. The Apostle Paul writes to this group of people. Who's the Apostle Paul? He started out as this grumpy, hateful guy named Saul of Tarsus. Grumpy, hateful guy. Why do I say grumpy, hateful guy? He thought he was brilliant. He kind of was. He thought he knew it all, so he was a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader, and he approved completely with the killing of an early Christian. Does that sound like a good guy to imitate? No, but he had a life transformation. He gave his life to Jesus on the road to Damascus. Then, and here's what we miss, then for at least 14 years, he submitted himself to other Christians and learned and grew together and prayed and didn't rush to anything, didn't run ahead of people. And then he goes on missionary journeys, plants churches, sees God work. And you know what his reward is for this? They throw him in jail. Now he writes to this group that he's never met in a city he never visits, to a church he didn't plant, and he gets the opportunity to write to them. And he says, hey, and in this section, you're going to see that he's going to warn them be careful about falling into rules. He's going to say that almost 2,000 years ago. I'm going to tell us this. Be careful about falling into rules. Be careful about painting by number in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplace, in your faith. Be careful. It's so easy to go there. It's so simple to get caught with rules. Because the idea is get to know Jesus and have new life in him inside and out. And so I'm going to show you how to not paint by number, and we're going to start inside, and then we're going to go out. Let's start inside with our thinking. It's been said that what goes on in here is the weakest muscle in our body. Now, I'm not a doctor or a biologist, so I don't know if the brain's actually a muscle, but it's been called that. My thinking can get me into trouble, amen? My thinking can create a lot of false realities. Do we agree? Now, here's the thing. What does the Apostle Paul say? I read a really long text earlier. We're not going to go through every single section. That's what we have small groups, faith groups, and Bible studies for. If you want to do a deep dive in this text, please grab a small group brochure or email the office. We'd love to get you connected to a small group. We're going to look at our thinking and then something on the outside too. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this, and remember he's writing 
almost 2,000 years ago, and might sound like he's writing to today and warring on culture or something. He's not. I'm reading him. Ready? Here we go. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For Christ lives in all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Okay, so I won't do a deep dive on this. He's dealing with something that's infiltrated this church and this culture, not our church, but the church at Colossae called Gnosticism. We won't go there. So instead, I'm going to ask this. What are empty philosophies? Here's two of the empty philosophies, and I want to make them super real. He says, number one, empty philosophies. So they were dealing with this idea that maybe the world isn't real. Now, it's interesting. This is in a context that's ancient, but it sounds like when I worked for 13 years in the schools and worked with young people, and they said, David or Mr. Cushing or whatever, simulation theory is real. The world isn't real. Just watch The Matrix. Take the red pill and wake up. So they were dealing with that too. Like literally, they, they were dealing with that. They didn't have the matrix. They didn't have Morpheus. Um, I joked today that our worship leader's glasses looked like Morpheus's because they were really cool. They weren't dealing with that, but they were dealing with this idea, maybe the world isn't real. Then they were also dealing with another idea, maybe nothing in the world matters. Now, these sound kind of helpful-ish. The problem is if we go really legalistic with these, they take us to be like this guy, Simeon Stylites. Anyone ever hear of Simeon Stylites? Simeon Stylites was a person who gave his life to Jesus, climbed up on a pole, sat on a platform for 37 years, and said, I just need Jesus, I don't need anything else. And so for 37 years, he sat on a platform. You can look him up, he's real. And it's from hundreds of thousands of years ago. And you can see that he had this idea, maybe nothing in the world matters. Because when we start to go with our thinking and we start to paint by number, we can go in really weird places, can't we? Maybe you've never sat up on a pole on a platform for 37 years, but we've done some pretty weird things, haven't we? We've done some pretty weird things looking for truth, searching in all these different places. Maybe not sitting on a platform on a pole. Okay, because why did they do that? They took Jesus out of context. And have we ever been guilty of that? Do we ever take Jesus out of context? They took Jesus' actions out of context. They saw how he separated himself, how he preached about the kingdom of God being at hand, and how ultimately this world isn't final, but it's temporary. And they took those things out of context, and they started having these rules and expectations and legalism, and it took them into really weird places. How do we do it? How do we do it? Here's some ways we do it. I'll give you two. I'm not saying every person's done this, but let me give a couple ways we've done it. Number one, we say, I've struggled with blank person, and they're coming for Thanksgiving, and I'm just going to pretend that I don't struggle with that person. I'm not going to pray to God. I'm not going to deal with anything. I'm not going to try to have a hard conversation. All I'm going to do is pretend that we're good, and then what happens? The blow up at Thanksgiving happens. Amen? Here's another way. I have major issues in my life, and I'm going to pretend they don't exist. No, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm amazing, God is good, he has blessed me beyond measure, and I have no issues. And then what happens? 
my issues start to show. And what happens when my issues start to show? I get really insecure. I go back to my thinking, and then I'm legalistic in new ways. And this is what Paul's warning us. He's saying, don't get captured with these weird ways of thinking. Don't get captured with the empty philosophies and the thinking that comes from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Jesus. Let me show you how Dummy David um, dealt with it in his college years. So one of the things we do when we grow up, we think we know everything when we're 17, don't we? Do you remember being 17 and being the smartest person who could solve world hunger? You could solve, what else could you solve? The whole thing that stock markets plunge, when you're 17, you know all the basic economics from two minutes of history class you didn't sleep through, that you say, I know exactly how to fix this. So I remember being that. And now I also had this double jeopardy that additionally my father was in the ministry, and so that meant that I was also a holy man at 17, right? So not only am I the most brilliant, but I'm also basically the pope. So you got like professor and pope, and he's applying to colleges. And here's what he does. He finds this college. This is Dummy David over here, professor and pope. He finds this college, and they're going to give him a full ride simply because his dad is a pastor. But he says, no, it's not because of that. It's because I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant. I'm so great. And then, because the scholarship had nothing to do with me, as I'm applying my senior year, we get news. They've changed the rules, and now pastor's sons only get half off. But they feel bad, so they approach dummy David, and here's what happens. They say, hey, um, we know you play the organ, we know you play the piano, we know you sing. If you're willing to major in all those things together, we'll give you the other half of college for free, and you can have a music scholarship. Now, here's a secret. I didn't like music. I was kind of forced to practice a lot of my life. I had moments where I liked it, um, I didn't really like practicing. I actually broke multiple clocks in my parents' house because back in the days where we didn't have digital clocks, I would change the time to make it look like I practiced for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I didn't want to have a career in music. Yet, I signed up because I wanted my full ride. And I'll tell you this. It ended, that story, and someday I'll tell you all the, all the, all the middle details. We'll start with this. You know how that story ended? I took a 400-mile drive to St. Louis, I was living in Ohio, to clear my head and to figure out life, and from a McDonald's, I called my dad and said, this has not worked. Because when we simply think that we can act like there's no issue, how did I do that? I looked and said, there's no problem with music, I like music, I didn't like music. There's no problem with practicing, I want to practice for three hours a day. I think I practiced about 10 minutes a day at college and falsified the timesheets. We do this in our lives. We think and we get ourselves into trouble. So there's a solution. Get to know Jesus and stop being painting by number and stop being legalistic and rigid because he transforms our thinking. If you simply think through something to the point where you crash and burn, you don't need to think through it again. There is a better way. The gospel is not a checklist it is an opportunity to say, I need Jesus to transform every part of my life, to saturate every part of my life, including my thinking. Because if you start inside, then you can go outside. The other thing that we see is my appearance. Now, there's a lot in this text. There's all sorts of other wonderful theological nuggets. 
But let's focus on what the Apostle Paul now says. If you're in a paint-by-number situation in your life, and you've said, hey, my thinking, I now I need to turn that over to God. The thing we often start with is not our thinking, but it's our appearances. So often we get so caught up on how we look, how we present, how others perceive us. We're all stuck in middle school at times, aren't we? In our most weak moments, we get stuck in that middle school mindset. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says. Here's what he says, verse 16. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the reality to come. Christ is that reality. Paul warns the church, the Colossian church, and then will extend to us. He warns them, hey, let's be careful of rules and legalism and appearances. Let's be careful because very quickly what happens? We give up liberty in Jesus for legalism with rules. Think about that. We're supposed to have freedom in Christ to love him and serve him and follow his wills for our life joyfully. And instead we get a spirit of fear. Instead of obedience through joy, we have obedience through fear and we just say, I need to follow these rules. I'm worried about... And if you notice, Paul picks on stuff from religion and he picks on stuff from culture. He talks about certain holy days, new moon ceremonies, Sabbaths. There's all these different forces this church that he writes to has to deal with. And he's saying, hey, don't get caught up in those. People want to pressure you about looking good a certain way. It's your heart that matters. It's, it's how you love your spouse. It's how you love your children. It's how you love your coworkers. It's not how you look to your spouse, how you look to your children, or you look to your coworkers. It's your love and devotion for Christ extending to everything else. Now, I want to be clear. There's some ways that we do it, and it's all about this word, shadow. Notice, notice here on this, we'll go stay on one slide for a second. Notice on this previous slide, because I, I, I don't want to, we'll go one back. Oh, after this, with the text. Oh, no, I didn't have the text. Okay, so here's what it said. That's okay. Um, so it says this. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the reality to come. When we think of shadows, I want you to think of, in literature, foreshadowing. Sometimes when we paint by number, we say, I want to be joyful, I want to be loving, I want to be patient. And so we think that rules get us there. What Paul is writing is that the rules are supposed to foreshadow everything that's completed in Jesus. In my life, when I'm parenting children at a young age, they can't fully figure things out for themselves. So I have to set up some rules. But the idea is someday my kids won't be four and two my kids will be older and they'll be able to think for themselves and have their own relationship in Jesus. And Jesus is the reality, the rules are not. And that's what he's saying. If you get all obsessed with what I do and what I don't, we're missing the point. My appearances aren't helpful. Here's some ways we do it. We say, I'm going to dress for success at all costs. It really matters how I look. We say this, my perfect car will look the perfect way. We say this, my family is full of accomplishments I post on social media. We say this, I will amass debt to finance my now 
and not worry about it. Have we ever found ourselves doing these kind of things, focusing on appearances? Paul says, he warns, don't observe these days out of some sense of legalism. We need to be warned, hey, with the appearances, let's not get so stuck on them at the cost of following Jesus and allowing him to transform us from the inside out, extending to our outsides. There's a lot of, there's a lot of examples in culture where people are phonies, aren't there? And I, I want to be careful. Our, our church, our ministry, we're not here to expose people. We're not here to lampoon people. We're not here to criticize. We're here to follow Jesus. Amen? So here's, here's the thing. I want to be gentle with this one, and I'm not going to use names. But there was a, a book from the early 2000s. When I was getting ready to go off to college, remember when I was the pope and professor? So there was a, there was a book called Three Cups of Tea. And it became a, a big sensation to the point where it just swept every book club. You go to any bookstore and they had a three cups of tea. You had various groups and ministries getting involved because it was, bait, it was based on a wonderful premise. The problem is, is the premise was a lie, the situation was made up, and there probably was maybe some not great financial dealings that happened with the person who wrote the book. It was all fabricated. It was all false. They took things that seemed nice and really resonated with where people were at in society in a post-9-11 world, and this idea of worldly reconciliation, trying to get together and trying to love people who are different and wanting to make a difference in the world. And this person misrepresented things, and it did damage. It did a lot of damage. And we have so many stories of this over and over and over in culture. You can think of people who have been shown to be big fakes. You can think of groups that have come out that seemed like they were going to make a difference and have the big change, and then people are now at congressional hearings, and people are getting convicted for all sorts of things. Because one of the things that happens in our society is people want to take the appearances, the outside, and make that the most important. I want to show you something different. I want you to meet my goofy friend, Matt. This is my friend, Matt. And I met him, well, actually, I didn't first meet him. A couple months ago, I went down to a national conference. And he had the opportunity to, my wife and I were there, and we got to hear people talk. And there was an election for bishops, because we're in a new denomination. And our new denomination's very different. And they don't have bishops for life. You have bishops for four-year terms. And after your four-year term, then you either get elected or unelected. Sounds a little scary, doesn't it? So they do the bishop's election, and Bishop Matt does not get elected. And guess who, and that's in the morning, guess who gets to give the keynote pre-existing address that night? Who's the keynote speaker? Bishop Matt. And so you know what he does and endears us forever to him? He gets up and says, well, this is awkward. People laugh. And he says, you know, sometimes things are unsaid that need to be said. And then he talked about how he believed in the system, he believed in the people who were there. He believed in his person who would replace him. And also how he understands that everything he does is to serve Jesus, not himself, not to maintain position. And this was really impactful on my wife, Laura, and I. We talked about it, discussed it. It really made a difference. A couple months later, we went to another gathering for pastors and their spouses, and I had an opportunity to meet him. And he's the sweetest, most genuine guy. And as a bishop, 
He had responsibility. But his responsibility was not to maintain titles or to maintain appearances, because we can do that in our lives. My perfect car will look the perfect way. I'll dress for success. I'll have all these things. What he realized, I'm here to have a devotion for Jesus, and if that devotion can help impact others, then great, and if it can't, I'll still have my devotion for Jesus. And he texts me like weekly, hey, how's it going? My wife and I are praying for you and your family and your church. They pray for this church. Former bishop, he just sits, and you know what he does now? He's no longer a bishop, and now he's guest preaching at churches of about 40 people that need a supply. And here's my point. We get so focused on how we look that we paint by number and we say, if my external looks good, then I'll make up for it with my internal. If people think I look like a Christian, then someday I'll be a Christian. The problem is that's not the gospel. That's not God's best for you, for me, or for any of us. And so I want to tell you this. Get to know Jesus. He transforms us from the inside out. You may have known him for one minute because you just walked in a second ago, and you may have known him for your whole life. But if you find yourself painting by numbers spiritually and saying, I'm just doing these expectations, I invite you. We're going to have an opportunity as we're in this series, to say Jesus be the center, not my need for appearances to be the center. Hey, you may be really struggling right now because there are things going on in our lives that are really challenging. You may have a health concern with yourself or in your family that has really damaged your appearance and your sense of being great and your sense of being all put together. And maybe this is the time where you need Christians to come into your life. When we get to know Jesus, what we can do is we can say, wow, I have an opportunity to realize I'm not all put together. I need Jesus. I need the cross. And Lord, would you send Christians into my life? And would I be transformed to be willing and humble to experience that? I want you to remember the whole idea with Da Vinci. Imagine Da Vinci comes right now and he says, hey, I'm here to help you learn to paint. I'm going to be your friend. We're going to get as good as you want. Someday you're going to be the very best version of yourself as a painter because you're going to have a relationship with me. Or you can say to Da Vinci, nope, I'm going to get the paint-by-number kit at Michael's and rigidly follow the rules. That's what we have as an opportunity with our faith. There is a binary choice. We can try surrendering to Jesus or we can try to figure it out on our own. And the problem is, is no amount of rules, legalism, good deeds, works, any of this is ever going to be sufficient for salvation or for peace in the life. And so I want to say this, a relationship with Jesus ultimately leads to the best version of ourselves over time. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to have a million dollars necessarily. It means that if you say, I'm going to surrender to Jesus, life is not working great. I need to surrender. There's things in part of my life that are so off. Lord, would you just allow me to say, I can't do it by myself. It's not that I'm then going to be amazing or perfect. It's that over time, I'm going to be made more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. And so we keep prayer prompts pretty simple. We have a culture in this church where we say that your spiritual life matters. We are not here to check off boxes. I'm going to put up a prayer prompt. I'm going to invite prayer team forward. If you are settling for a paint-by-number life, 
come pray with one of us. Maybe all you need to do is to just say, hey, I'm a little too legalistic right now. If you're in a really difficult situation ever in your life and you feel like there's not places to turn, there are. We have a Christian community. The church is the ecclesia, the called out people of God in a community for a purpose. Your spiritual life matters. If you ever need spiritual direction, that's why you have pastors. Talk to us. That's why you have a community. We are here to be your team. Do you need to work on your relationship with Jesus? Come forward for prayer.